Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode three. On today's show, we are going to be looking at the man dubbed the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe. This happened in an area where I was born, so it's very, very close to me. Peter William Sutcliffe was born 2nd of June 1946 in Bingley to a working class family. Reportedly a loner, Sutcliffe left school aged 15 and had a series of menial jobs including two stints as a grave digger in the 1960s. Between November 1971 and April 1973 he worked at the Baird Television Factory on a packaging line. He left his position when he was asked to go on the road as a salesman. After leaving Baird Television, Sutcliffe worked night shifts at the Britannia Works and Anderton Airport in April 1973. In February 1975, Sutcliffe took redundancy and used some of the money to train as a heavy goods vehicle driver. On March 5th, 1976, Sutcliffe was sacked after being caught stealing used tyres. He was unemployed until October 1976 when he found a job as a HGV driver for T and W H Clark Holdings Ltd on the Canal Road Industrial Estate in Bradford. On February 14, 1967, Peter Sutcliffe met Sonia Surma at the age of 28, Surma being 24 years old. They married on August 10, 1974. Through his childhood and his early adolescence, Sutcliffe showed no signs of abnormality but one of his brothers admitted their father was an abusive alcoholic, stating that their father once smashed a beer glass over Peter's head for sitting in his chair at the Christmas table. After arguing, when the brother was four or five years old, the father used to whip them with a belt. Later, in part related to his occupation as a grade digger, he developed a disturbing sense of humour. During Sutcliffe's teenage years, he developed a growing obsession with voyeurism, 
and spent much of his time spying on prostitutes and the men seeking their services. Peter Sutcliffe initially targeted women and girls in residential areas, but soon moved on to attacking prostitutes in the red light districts, mainly due to their nature of work, vulnerabilities and the fact police didn't see prostitutes' safety as a concern at the time. Sutcliffe regularly used prostitutes in the Leeds and Bradford area. He knew these areas well. Peter Sutcliffe's 13 known murder victims were Wilma McCann, Emily Jackson, Irene Richardson, Patricia Atkinson, Jane MacDonald, Jean Jordan, Yvonne Pearson, Helen Ritka, Vera Millward, Josephine Whitaker, Barbara Leach, Margaret Walls and Jacqueline Hill. He is also known to have attacked 10 other women during his killing spree. The majority of Peter Sutcliffe's killings would be around the West Yorkshire area and two in the Manchester area. Sutcliffe's first known attack was on a prostitute in Bradford in 1969 when he followed a woman and hit her over the head with a rock in a sock. Police questioned Sutcliffe about this after his friend's vehicle registration plate was seen by the woman he had attacked. He was subsequently let go as the woman, strangely, did not want to press charges. In 1975, Sutcliffe then attacked another woman, Anna Rigolsky, who was walking home alone through Keithley. He struck her with a ball pen hammer and then slashed her stomach. Luckily, for Anna, Sutcliffe was disturbed by a neighbour, which probably saved her life. Anna told police that her attacker had a Yorkshire accent. Later, this information would be ignored by police. On August 27th, Sutcliffe then attacked 14-year-old Tracy Brown in Silsden. He struck her from behind and hit her over the head five times while she was walking along a country lane. Sutcliffe then ran off after seeing headlights appear. Tracy would then require brain surgery due to the injuries she sustained. The first victim to be killed by Sutcliffe was Wilma McCann on the 30th of October. McCann, from Leeds, she was a mother of four children. Sutcliffe struck the back of her skull twice with a hammer, then stabbed her in the throat, twice in the right breast, three times under the left breast, and a series of nine stab wounds around her navel. Wilma McCann would later be found by a milkman delivering his morning round. Sutcliffe committed his next murder in Leeds on the 20th of January 1976 when he stabbed 42-year-old Emily Jackson 52 times. Sutcliffe hit her on the head with a hammer, dragged her body into a rubbish-filled yard. He then used a screwdriver to stab her in the neck, chest and abdomen. He stamped on her thigh, leaving behind an impression of his boot. Sutcliffe then attacked 20-year-old Marcella Claxton in Roundair Park, Leeds, on the 9th of May. Walking home from a party, she accepted a lift off Sutcliffe. When she got out of the car to urinate, he hit her from behind with a hammer. Luckily, Claxton survived. At the time of this attack, Claxton had been four months pregnant and unfortunately miscarried with her baby. She required multiple operations and suffered from intermittent blackouts and severe depression. Claxton would later testify against Sutcliffe at his trial. In 1977, Sutcliffe would go on to commit four more murders, including Irene Richardson, Jean Jordan, Patricia Atkinson and Jane MacDonald. All were hit over the head with a hammer and then stabbed to death. After the killing of Jane MacDonald, women protested in the streets and asked police to invoke a curfew to help bring an end to these brutal murders. By this point, Peter Sutcliffe had killed six people and attacked many others. The murder of Jean Jordan on the 1st of October 1977, Sutcliffe, in an interview, confessed that he realised the new £5 note he had given her was traceable 
After hosting a family party at his new home, he returned to the wasteland behind Manchester's Southern Cemetery to retrieve it, but was unable to find it. On October 9th, Jordan's body was discovered by local dairy worker and future actor Bruce Jones. For all of you who are not sure who Bruce Jones is, it's Coronation Street's Les Battersby. He had an allotment on land adjoining to the site where the body was found and he was searching for house bricks when he made the discovery. The £5 note was hidden in a secret compartment in Jordan's handbag. The £5 note would be traced to the Midland Bank in Shipley and Bingley. Police analysis of the bank operations allowed them to narrow their field of inquiry to 8,000 employees who could have received this in their wage packet. Over three months, the police interviewed 5,000 men, including Peter Sutcliffe. The police found that the alibi given by Sutcliffe's whereabouts was credible. He had indeed spent much of the evening of the killing at a family party. Weeks of intense investigation, looking into the origin of the £5 note, led to nothing. This frustrated police massively. On the 14th of December, Sutcliffe attacked Marilyn Moore, another prostitute from Leeds. She survived and provided police with a description of her attacker. Her photo fit bore a strong resemblance to Sutcliffe. Like other survivors, she had provided a good description of his car, which had been seen in the red light district. Sutcliffe had been interviewed by police again and released again. In January 1978, Sutcliffe killed again. This time his victim was Yvonne Pearson, a 21-year-old prostitute from Bradford. He repeatedly bludgeoned her about the head with a ball-peen hammer. He then jumped on her chest before stuffing horsehair in her mouth from a discarded sofa under which he hid her body. Over a week later, he killed Helen Ritker, an 18-year-old prostitute from Huddersfield. He struck Ritker over the head five times as she exited his vehicle. Her body was found three days later beneath railway arches in Garrett's timber yard to which he had driven her there. On April 4th, 1979, Sutcliffe killed Josephine Whitaker, a 19-year-old building society clerk whom he'd attacked on Savile Park Moor in Halifax as she walked home. Despite forensic evidence, police efforts were diverted for several months following receipt of a taped message purported to be from the murderer taunting Assistant Chief Constable George Oldfield of the West Yorkshire Police, who was leading the investigation. Between March 1978 and the end of June 1979, police received three letters claiming to be the Yorkshire Ripper, postmarked from Sunderland. Two were addressed to Assistant Chief Constable George Oldfield of the West Yorkshire Police, who was heading the Ripper inquiry, and one to the Daily Mirror newspaper. On the 17th of June 1979, police received a cassette addressed to Assistant Chief Constable Oldfield, where he introduced himself only under the name of Jack and claimed responsibility for the Ripper murders. George Oldfield and other senior officers were informed by the FBI that the creator of this tape was a blatant hoaxer. Sure, where 
maybe Manchester. I like it there. There's plenty of them knocking about. They never learn, do they, George? I bet you've warned them, but they never listen. Well, it's been nice chatting to you, George. George, chat the river. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Despite this, the police focused on the wayside accent Together with voice analysts, they decided that the accent was distinctive to the Castletown area of Sunderland. This led to 40,000 men being investigated to no avail, as the killer, Peter Sutcliffe, came from Bradford. Police also commenced a substantial publicity campaign, including Dial the Ripper hotlines, billboards and advertisements in newspapers. Around £1 million was invested into the publicity campaign alone. A few weeks later, after being played the recording, the voice experts began to try and persuade the police that the tapes was a hoax, but this fell on deaf ears. Olive Smelt, a victim of Sutcliffe who survived his attack in 1975 in Halifax, also told police in an interview that the perpetrator was a local man. Other survivors' evidence, photo fits, which were close to Sutcliffe's appearance, were also ignored. A confidential police document issued in September 1979 by the West Yorkshire Police Murder Incident Room instructed detectives to disregard from their inquiries any suspect without a North East accent. 
Peter Sutcliffe, who committed the murders, was interviewed and released nine times over five years. Four of these occasions followed the police decision to search for the man they had heard on the Wearside Jack tapes. In July 1979, Sutcliffe was interviewed by two detective constables who became suspicious of him. One of the officers, Detective Constable Andrew Laptu, in his report wrote that there was good evidence to support Sutcliffe being the killer, but this was downgraded due to Sutcliffe's Yorkshire accent and the fact that his handwriting didn't match the letters that had been sent. The hoaxer case was reopened in 2005 and DNA taken from the envelopes was entered into the national database in which it matched that of John Samuel Humble, an unemployed alcoholic and long-time resident of the Ford Estate in Sunderland, a few miles from Castletown, whose DNA had been taken following a drunken disorderly offence in 2001. On the 20th of October 2005, Humble was charged with attempting to pervert the course of justice for sending the hoax letters and tape. Humble was remanded in custody on the 21st of March 2006, was convicted and sentenced to eight years in prison. Humble died on July 30th 2019, aged 63. On the 2nd of January 1981, Sutcliffe was stopped by the police with 24-year-old prostitute Olivia Rivers in the driveway of the Light Trades House in Melbourne Avenue, Sheffield. A police check by probationary constable Robert Hydes revealed Sutcliffe's car had false number plates and he was arrested and transferred to Dewsbury Police Station in West Yorkshire. At Dewsbury Police Station, he was questioned in relation to the Yorkshire Ripper case as he had matched many of the known physical characteristics. The next day, police returned to the scene of the arrest and discovered a knife, hammer and a rope he had discarded when he briefly slipped away from the police after telling them he was bursting for a pee. Sutcliffe hid a second knife in the toilet cistern at the police station where he was permitted to use the toilet. The police obtained a search warrant for his home in Heaton and brought his wife in for questioning. After two days of intense questioning, on the afternoon of the 4th of January 1981, Sutcliffe suddenly declared he was the Ripper. Over the next day, he calmly described many of the attacks. Weeks later, he claimed God had told him to murder the women, and in Sutcliffe's own words, he said, I was just cleaning up. Sutcliffe was charged on the 5th of January 1981, and at his trial, he pleaded not guilty to 13 charges of murder but guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. The basis of his defence was that he claimed to be the tool of God's will. Sutcliffe pleaded guilty to seven charges of attempting murder. The prosecution intended to accept Sutcliffe's plea. Four psychiatrists diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. The judge would later reject this claim. His trial lasted two weeks. Sutcliffe was found guilty of murder on all counts and was sentenced to 20 consecutive sentences of life imprisonment. The judge claimed that Sutcliffe was beyond redemption and that he should spend the rest of his life in prison. On 16th of July 2010, the High Court issued Sutcliffe with a whole life tariff, meaning he would never be released. Enjoying our podcast? Why not become a member at Acast Plus? We have various packages, bronze, silver and gold for you to choose from. Check it out in the link below. During his sentence at HMP Parkhurst on the 22nd of May 1981, despite being found sane at his trial, Sutcliffe was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. 
attempts to send him to a secure psychiatric unit were blocked. In March 1984, Sutcliffe was sent to Broadmoor Hospital under Section 47 of the Mental Health Act 1983. In December 2015, Sutcliffe was assessed as being no longer mentally ill. In August 2016, a medical tribunal ruled that he no longer required clinical treatment for his medical condition and could be returned to prison. Sutcliffe was reported to have been transferred from Broadmoor to HMP Franklin in Durham, County Durham, in August 2016. Sutcliffe died at University Hospital of North Durham, aged 74, on 13th of November 2020, having been sent there with the COVID-19. After having previously returned to HMP Franklin following treatment for suspected heart attack at the same hospital two weeks prior, Peter Sutcliffe was also reported to have refused treatment for COVID-19. Peter Sutcliffe will be remembered as one of Britain's worst serial killers, along with Dennis Nilsson and Harold Shipman, just to name a few. Peter Sutcliffe's reign of terror shook Britain to its core, but worst of all, took the lives of 13 innocent people and ruined the lives of many more. This is why Peter Sutcliffe will go down as one of Britain's worst serial killers. Peter Sutcliffe's motive remains unclear, though some have said that he was taking revenge on prostitutes because he had once been ripped off by one. The Yorkshire Ripper himself said that the voice of God commanded him to kill, which is not uncommon in serial killers saying that they heard voices or someone else has told them to do it or God was telling them to do it. West Yorkshire Police were highly criticised for how the investigation was conducted. The case, which predated the use of technology, we know today used index cards and paperwork, making cross-checking increasingly difficult. The 1982 Byford report into the investigation concluded the ineffectiveness of the major incident room was a serious handicap for the Ripper investigation. While it should have been the effective nerve centre of the whole police operation, the backlog of unprocessed information resulted in the failure to connect vital pieces of related information. This serious fault in the central index system allowed Peter Sutcliffe to continually slip through the net. Byford also stated, the temptation to appoint a senior man on age or service grounds should be resisted. What is needed is an officer of sound professional competence who will inspire confidence and loyalty. This in reference to the Wearside Jack Tate. The report also found that Oldfield ignored advice from survivors of Sutcliffe's attacks and several eminent specialists, including the FBI, along with dialect analysts such as Stanley Ellis and Jack Windsor Lewis, whom he had consulted through the manhunt that Wearside Jack was the hoaxer. The investigation used it as a point of elimination rather than a line of inquiry and allowed Sutcliffe to avoid scrutiny as he did not fit the profile of the sender of the tapes or letters. The Wearside Jack hoaxer was given unusual credibility and analysis of saliva on the envelopes he sent showed he had the same blood group as that which Sutcliffe had left at the crime scenes, a type shared by only 6% of the population. It's clear to see when investigating this case that Peter Sutcliffe would have been caught a lot quicker if it wasn't for the poor police work and the misinformation that was given to the police. The ignoring of advice also was a big factor in why Peter Sutcliffe was not caught earlier. He was stopped on nine different occasions, questioned on nine different occasions and still slipped through the net. Thankfully, with the advances of technology, hopefully 
this would never happen again. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you will all come back for episode four. See you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.